Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, joined for this week uh, week 12 uh, waiver wire preview by Football Outsider scouting expert Derek Klassen. Derek, happy Thanksgiving. Are you ready to enjoy some really terrible football in a couple of days? I... I mean, I'm, we're going to have to. I mean, there's not going to be there's not going to be much other choice. I mean, we were talking about it before the show. Some of these games would have looked cool five weeks ago. They're not so cool now. Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely true of the Raiders, definitely true of the Saints dealing with all their injuries. We'll talk about at least one player with that latter team. I'll say that hopefully fantasy can keep you intrigued through the weekend. Um, and I can't say much about the Black Friday deals by and large, but I'll mention that FO Plus is on sale for 99 cents a week right now for annual subscriptions. So there's a little possibility of a uh, Black Friday deal for you. It's a limited time offer to get our stats, analysis, fantasy, and betting info. So check that out at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe or follow the link in the description of this show. Uh, Derek, we're going to go through the, the best waiver wire options for week 12. We originally had 12, 12 guys for week 12, but we're down to 11. But I still think it's going to be plenty to talk about. Let's get started with Elijah Moore, wide receiver for the New York Jets. We've talked about him a couple of times before, but this is the first week that I'm giving the full 100% fab bid recommendation. He's definitely convinced me that it's time to pick him up. Uh, he's had three straight games with a touchdown, his uh, season high eight catches and 141 yards this last week. What about for you? Are you convinced that more, like I know we've both said we like him in the long term, but what about for the rest of this season? Are you buying in fully? The only thing that would give me any pause is the quarterback play. And, and I yeah. think it's not even really at this point like a, stylistic thing between Flacco or White or uh, Wilson or even Josh Johnson for that matter. Um, it's really just like those quarterbacks are never going to have consistent weeks because they're just not very good. Um, so that's really the only problem I think you could potentially run into. But as a player, I mean, like you said, we talked about it a hundred times before. He's just fantastic. He does a really mm. great job getting open. Um, he's a pretty good athlete. He's really tough over the middle and like on contested catch scenarios for a guy his size. I mean, he's not Mike Evans, but like for a guy his size, I think he does a really yeah, good yeah. job in that regard. Pretty solid with the ball in his hands. Like, I think he just kind of does it all. And like I've mentioned before, he's a really good and willing blocker. And that's like, that's going to matter for trying to get on the field. So I don't know. I think there's every reason to be excited about Elijah Moore. You're really just hoping that the, uh, you know, the roulette wheel that is the Jets quarterback situation kind of hits right. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how much you would necessarily read into this, but Dolphins cornerback Xavier Howard, who I think is probably one of the best handful of corners in the league at this point, was just effusive in his praise for Moore after playing him on Sunday. Uh, it says he's going to be a special player in the league. I think we kind of agree. One metric that agrees with that, and I know that we're kind of bridging fantasy versus real here, but Moore is averaging 3.0 PPR points per catchable target this season. Here are the wide receivers with at least 50 targets that, that hit that threshold. It's Moore. Mike Evans, Jamar Chase, Emmanuel Sanders, Tim Patrick, DK Metcalf, and CD Lamb, and that's it. So you're talking about your hyper-efficiency type of guys. You'll note that I use catchable targets there instead of just regular targets, and that's me trying to cut out the quarterback's involvement a little bit. So I'm not going to disagree with you that quarterback play is going to be the one potential downside here. But I will say that I was previously worried about his, his sort of part-time role because a couple of weeks ago, we played 60% of snaps, which is pretty high for him. But that was the week Corey Davis was out. And then he dropped back to 56% the week after. But then after those two touchdown performances, up to 80% snap share. It looks like he's he's going to be playing pretty much every snap going forward, I assume, where maybe Jamison Crowder and especially Keelan Cole are going to get a little bit more marginalized. So I think that that's a really good sign for me. And it's like if Moore has been this productive as a part-time player, if he's going to be on the field all the time, you know, maybe it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. You're like, maybe 
maybe it's 10 targets and he can only really catch five of them, but that, that could be enough to get it done in fantasy, right? Yeah, I think that's a good point. Like if his snap share continues to be this high, maybe it just doesn't matter if the quarterback play is bad because he's, Davis is still better when he's healthy, but I mean, Elijah Moore is like a very legitimate, you know, good starting wide receiver in the league. So, and I think at this point he's better than the other guys that they have, like Keelan Cole and, and Jamison Crowder are like quality role players. But at this point, I think Moore is just the better player and should continue to get as many snaps as they can get him. Yeah, Hitchhiker Pie on YouTube mentions that Evans is only that high on the, the 3.0 PPR points list because of all the red zone targets. True. And it's because Tom Brady's like trying to win the MVP and is going to throw at least 50 touchdowns <laughs> this year, which, you know, fair. Uh, but Evans also catches this many touchdowns every year. So, I mean, at some point you have to kind of accept that he's a really good contested catch guy and that's going to be great for him in fantasy. Interestingly, more, I mean, he's he scored more from further distances from the end zone. So he's a bit of an overachiever relative to his expected touchdown total. But some of that, I think, is just really skill, right? Like he's really dangerous after the catch with the ball in his hands. So I think there's a lot of things pointing you toward this is a this is a really good option for you to pick up in fantasy. It may be too late in a lot of your leagues, but he's still out there in what, like 50%, no, 60% of ESPN leagues, 40% of Yahoo leagues. So good job, Yahoo players. You guys are kind of <laughs> a little bit more on the ball here. Uh, is a hundred percent, is that too much? I mean, we're getting late in the season. You may not have a lot of shots at guys that can really make an impact for the fantasy playoffs. Would you go a hundred percent, Derek? I mean, I think you have to, I think that's a good point. Like you're, you're kind of at the wire at this point. You don't really have the, mm. you don't really have the room to like mess around and try to get maximum efficiency, maximum efficiency out of your fab at this point. You kind of just have to take a swing on a player who is, I, I think we both think is a pretty clearly startable player. Yeah. And so thanks to Hitchhiker Pie for the comment. Thanks to Joey Sucks for shouting Scott and Derek. <laughs> so I guess somebody really excited either for us or for it to be a holiday week. Uh, thanks, guys. We're live streaming on YouTube every Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. So you can get on there and ask us questions. We'll hold your trade questions toward the end. I think we get, just got one coming back in here. So we'll, we'll get to that before the end of the show. But we appreciate your involvement and appreciate you live streaming us. Let's keep going with some of the waiver options for week 12, though. Uh, my guy, Cam Newton, I thought had a very promising first game uh, back with the Panthers was very, um, I don't know if accurate's the right word or just like on target, but conservative 21 of 27 is a 77.8% completion rate. So like from the passing perspective, that's kind of all you really want to see from Newton. Meanwhile, he's, you know, running in touchdowns from 25 yards away from the end zone. So it's like, Hey, this looks like vintage Newton, but I wanted to get your perception here. I said in the preseason based on a handful of throws, uh, that it seemed like his passing mechanics looked a little bit better. And, you know, he had the shoulder surgery in 2020, finally had a real chance to rest it in the offseason and then missing the first eight or so weeks of this year, uh, not being on a team. Did you think that it looked better? Was the passing good or was it just a conservative game plan that kind of highlighted what Newton can do? It was a little bit of both. I do think it was a little bit more on the conservative side. But to that end, like, the, the whole thing with Cam Newton for the first, you know, eight years of his career or whatever is that he couldn't really be that guy. And I think he's clearly shown now that he can, you know, like his last year with the Panthers, Panthers, he did a good job at that um, with the Patriots. He did a little bit better job at that. So I think he's shown that he can do that more now. I think opening up the offense is really just going to come down to like he just needs reps in the offense. It's it's harder yeah. to do, you know, to, to open things up and have the full depth of the playbook when you've only been there for, you know, a week and a half, two weeks or whatever. So. Maybe over the next few weeks, things start to open up. And we obviously know that, you know, Cam, when he was at his best, was really good at that type of stuff. And then, like you mentioned, all the running stuff, that's what's really, I think, encouraging to me. Um, the fact that he looked really healthy as a runner um, was just awesome. We, we know he's a great red zone threat, but even the couple of plays that he had, 
outside the red zone where he was really making plays with his legs. Like, I don't know exactly what the ceiling is. It's obviously very hard to judge, but I, I have to imagine that a few more weeks um, in a system as, as good as Brady's is going to, it, it could pay some real dividends for this team, I think. Yeah, I think I heard your your Bleacher Report scouting colleague Nate Tice say on the Athletic Football Show that it seemed like the Panthers were only running a handful of passing concepts in Newton's first game back. And like, I'm not sure how much of that is the fact that Newton has only been with the team for a week plus, or whether that's just kind of Newton. You know, it's it's not like he's going to be picking apart teams like Tom Brady, figuring out what the defense is giving him and adjusting at the line and stuff. But I feel like it's it's enough that it's going to work. And it's like so much of this is style because. You know, you mentioned how Newton was kind of figuring this out a little bit in his last season with the Panthers back in 2018. In 2017, he completed like 50, 59% of his passes, some really low number. It jumped up to nearly 68% in 2018, a career high. And that was him just, you know, checking down to Christian McCaffrey, running those simple routes, those easy completions. And even if the long distance arm strength isn't really there anymore with what I what I'm seeing, I think is the better, you know, shoulder health mechanics, whatever you want to call it in that type of conservative game plan, I think he can probably get to 200 to 250 passing yards and a touchdown every now and then. And if he's running like that, then yeah, I think that's going to add up to probably a top 10 fantasy quarterback the rest of the way. He's He's been a top eight fantasy quarterback in points per game in all but two seasons in his career. And while you can say that like one of those seasons was with the Patriots was outside of that, maybe it's, a, it's going downhill. But I think a lot of that has been health-based and been like skill talent-based too. So I, I'm pretty optimistic at this point. And if I needed a quarterback, he would definitely be my number one target. 100%. Yeah. All right. Next up on the list, Devontae Freeman running back for the Baltimore Ravens. I'm actually giving a pretty aggressive bid here at 21%. And you may be surprised to find that he's available still in, in uh, two thirds of ESPN leagues. Latavius Murray finally came back from, from an injured ankle. We didn't ever really got a ton of information about that, but he ended up missing a little bit more than a month. So maybe more serious than we originally expected, but Murray didn't go straight back to his number one running back role. He actually lagged behind Devonte Freeman, 37% versus 58% of snaps. Freeman has now played 58% of snaps in three straight weeks. And I'm asking you, Derek, do you think Freeman's actually going to hold on to this number one job or was this more a, getting his feet back under him type of situation for Murray, who obviously hasn't been practicing for the last month. I do think that Murray is the better like downhill runner. And if that's something that they really want to get back into their offense, that Murray is going to be better for that and, and give them something different than Freeman has. Freeman is a little bit more, you know, finesse and like, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, what I will say is that Murray just can't do what Freeman can do as a pass catcher. And I think that yeah. that Freeman is kind of always going to have a role in the offense at least for the remainder of this year because of that, because nobody else can really match what he can do as a pass catcher in this offense. Um, we knew, we knew bell could in his peak, but I don't think he's really that right now. So I think Freeman can at the very least hold on to what he's done as a pass catcher. Um, and unless Murray is like, gets a hundred percent back to health. Like I think they probably continue to split their carries kind of about what they're doing right now. Yeah, from the target's perspective, that really shows up in the metrics. So for the season, Freeman has out-targeted Murray 22-7. to 7. Uh, He's got 4.0 targets per game since week seven, is tied for 23rd among running backs. So like on that type of standard, you don't really think of that as being a major part of the Ravens' offense, but that puts him squarely in at least the back-end RB2 range, if not flex range there. So that's good. But here's the thing that really interested me. Freeman is actually number one among running backs with 50 or more carries with a 67.8% rushing success rate. Now, success rate is something that I like to talk about because we tend to judge running backs by yards per carry, some of those more simple metrics, but those don't really bake in the difficulty of carries. 
And I, I mean, honestly, Murray is one of the big players that gets hurt by that perception. He's averaging what 3.5 yards per carry this season, but he's always taking carries in third and shorts near the goal line in situations where one or two yards is going to, you know, get you a new first down or get you into the end zone. It's just not fair. And Murray's 58% rushing success rate is, is quite good, but it's still way behind Freeman. And so I wanted to know what your thoughts are on that. It seems like a lot of running backs tend to have success in the Ravens offense. And I don't know how much of that is, is Lamar Jackson and what that might make a defense do. How much of it is because you have Lamar Jackson as your quarterback, you just have heavy personnel in the field all the time or what? But you would think teams would be kind of gearing up to stop runners. And Freeman's been, you know, the number one back by this standard. Do you have any thoughts on why that might be? I think the thing with the, the, the Ravens run game, specifically with the way that they incorporate Lamar Jackson, is that they use their running backs as kind of a means to get consistent gains, whereas their explosive runner is Lamar Jackson. That's why when it, when yeah. a lot of the option stuff that they do is to get him on the edge. It's not like Cam Newton running QB power as much. They do a little bit of that, but that's not so much their ethos in, in the ground game. And so I think because you are like eliminating a defender with Jackson and having him as like your explosive guy on the outside, you're getting numbers on the inside with some of these runners and they're not the most explosive guys. So they're not really generating like big plays on their own. That's part of why their yards per carry is kind of like whatever sometimes, but they're consistently running into favorable situations that kind of allow them to get four yards when you need four yards, you know, that sort of thing. That's cool. And it kind of made me wonder, like, is there a specific skill to taking carries out of the pistol? Cause like Freeman is a bigger back, right? Like, I might intuitively assume that he's maybe more of an Adrian Peterson type of guy where like traditionally he would have been taking handoffs from a traditional drop back passing game, having some room to kind of build up speed rather than get the handoff just straight from shotgun in the backfield. But is, is there anything to Freeman's game that that actually translates really well? And maybe that's why he's having success or is that just too part of the, the reads, the fact that like Lamar is drawing a, an edge defender toward him and giving Freeman a little bit more of a window to work with. I think it's kind of more of just that they are consistently getting numbers in the run game. I don't think mm. like the pistol kind of more simulates under centers um, from the running backs perspective. Um, so like, like to me, a lot of the best shotgun runners are the guys who are like really low to the ground, um, really quick on their feet. Like, you know, like a James white or something can, can be really mm. good at a shotgun. Christian McCaffrey is really, really good at a shotgun. Those guys that can like, make room when there's not room there behind the line of scrimmage because you're obviously pushed up a lot tighter to it i think those are the best guys i think guys that are a little bit better like seeing the play develop in front of them from depth are better when they're a little bit pushed back from the line of scrimmage um, whether that's pistol or under center and i think with freeman specifically he was like a big zone guy back with um shanahan so like it yeah. kind of makes sense that he's more of a guy who wants to see things develop in front of him pick and choose his spots that sort of thing that's really cool so, I mean, I think from a fantasy perspective, you can rely on Freeman knowing that the target share is going to be there relative to Murray. But I think, too, the fact that he's been so efficient as a runner gives you some extra upside there over what Latavius Murray would have. And so even if their carry shares kind of converge a little bit back toward each other, I'm totally fine thinking of him as a back-end RB2 the rest of the way. And I would I would happily spend the fab to, to sort of make that happen. You're kind of running out of time to get these impact players and, you know, unless you end up with a major Dalvin Cook type of player getting injured, then you may not have better somebody better than that. Uh, guys, the questions are keep streaming in on the YouTube chat, which we really appreciate. We're going to hold all of these pretty much toward the end of the show. Most of them seem like either, you know, trade acquisition player questions, that type of stuff. So we'll get to that when the time comes. Thanks so much for live streaming. 
Uh, in the meantime, though, let's keep going with the, the Week 12 waiver wire options. Let's go to Ramondre Stevenson, running back for the Patriots. We had mentioned him the last couple of weeks, especially when he was the pretty much only lead back for the Patriots in Week 10 when Damian Harris was out with a concussion. But Harris came back last week, and Stevenson was a little bit more involved than he had previously been when they both played together. He had 12 carries for 69 yards and a catch for six yards. Harris had 10 for 56 and a catch for nine yards. They played about the same number of snaps, 34% and 39%. In the, the prior two weeks when both had played, it was more like a 29 to 65 snap split in favor of Harris and a 21 to 39 touch split. So like a two to one type of advantage there. We've talked a lot about Stevenson having success this year. He's another guy with a really high rushing success rate that I think probably at least someone is attributable to the Patriots having a really good and improving run blocking line. But like Stevenson, the player, like what are your thoughts? Is he closing the gap on what you think between he and Harris? Or is this the Patriots doing classic Patriots things where you never really know who's going to be having the big game week to week? It's a little bit of that. Um, I also think they're just, their skill sets are more conducive to beat different types of defenses, I think. I think if you're facing a defensive line that is like really good at maintaining their gaps, they're going to play sound defense, and you really need to squeeze the most out of every run in terms of like picking your spots, I think yeah. Harris is a lot better for that. His vision is fantastic. He's still a really tough runner between the tackles. So I think he's better in that sense. Ramondre Stevenson right now, maybe this part is just because he's a rookie, but I don't think his vision is all the way there yet. It's not like bad. Um, but I think he's a little bit more boom and bust than a guy like Harris. The thing is, if you're playing defenses like the Browns, who all they want to do is get upfield, and you're the Patriots where you do a really good job with these gap schemes and you can like manipulate that and just kind of get Stevenson running free, you're gonna you're gonna have these games where he just kind of pops off and is able to get to the second level, break a tackle, that sort of thing. Um, even the Falcons, the Falcons not so much is because they like to get upfield. The Falcons is just because they're yeah. bad. Um, <laughs> uh, and Stevenson is like more conducive to getting explosives in that kind of game. So I think it's more just that they really complement each other well, and it's gonna depend a little bit on what they need from their from their running game in a, in a given week. So that's interesting. I had actually pulled up the Patriots' rest of the season schedule, not so much trying to pick and choose the matchups in that sense, but to note that the run defensive schedule gets a lot worse going forward. So their next opponent, Week 12, is the Titans. They're 25th in run defense DVOA, but then it's the Bills, their third, and by their third, I mean they were third until Jonathan Taylor did what he did. I don't know where they're going to fall to, but let's say average. Uh, then they're on by. Then they have the Colts. They're second in run defense DVOA. The Bills again. The Jaguars, who were a surprising seventh in run defense and much better against the run than the pass, possibly a relevant concern there. And then the Dolphins, 14th. So by that logic, the Titans would be the last good run defense matchup. And given that this is a team that's really splitting the work among three backs, where Brandon Bolton's getting more of the targets too. So it's kind of hard for these guys to have fantasy value if they're not scoring touchdowns. Do any of those teams jump out at you as maybe a team you would want to run with Stevenson over Harris because of the gap scheme stuff or whatever else? I think the Titans, um, for sure, um, just partly because, yeah, like I, I just don't think – they're kind of a reckless defense up front, I think, a little bit. That's kind of like yeah. their ethos. I think because they're so – don't have that much talent in the back end, they kind of have to do a lot of crazy stuff to all around the defense to kind of make the make things work. And they have, but that's also kind of conducive to getting explosives in the run game when you're messing with your yeah. gaps and stuff like that. Um, the Bills, like – I think the Bills are a – sound defense generally but i think the way they got beat up by the colts in particular because the colts also run this like heavy like gap stuff they're doing a lot of like trap plays they're pulling guys that sort of stuff 
that's what the Patriots want to do, man. And, and Taylor is obviously a lot better than um, the two running backs that the Patriots have. But like, man, like, I, I don't know. I think the Patriots are going to beat them up. And if they think that Stevenson is a little bit more conducive to being explosive in those scenarios, that could be a matchup. Um, the other ones might be a little bit more conducive to Harris, I would think. I mean, it sounds like the Patriots are going to be the, the number one AFC seed going into their bye in a couple of yeah. weeks <laughs> based, based on the, the matchups and who it is that they're going to be beating, knocking the Titans and Bills back out of that those top spots. Uh, it's interesting. The Titans, I think, are particularly interesting because I think we think of them in a certain way, but that way revolves around Derrick Henry. Since he hasn't been there, it's interesting, too, that they're actually they're, uh, their play-action passing game is basically yards per play. It's been cut in half without Henry. And we talk a lot about on Football Outsiders about how you don't actually need to, quote unquote, establish the run to have success in the play action game. But you need to have the threat of a run to do it is, is kind of my perception of it. And now that they don't really have the same weapons there, it seems to be affecting them all over the place. So the Titans may be a good team by record, but I wouldn't at all be shocked for the Patriots to build a lead there and, and run enough to support both of these backs in fantasy. So by that logic, I think Stevenson is a pretty good player to add in the short term. Never mind the fact that he also has really good upside if, if you know, Harris ends up missing more time in the future. But a possible startable player in the short term and a player that Joey Sucks mentions, Ramondre is a great name and he's worthy of the number one waiver wire pick for that alone. So hard to disagree with that. It's a great name. And that may be why Jonathan Taylor isn't more popular, by the way. <laughs> yeah, his name, his name is too just, you know, it's like a cookie cutter uh, Madden name. Exactly. Uh, the last thing I would say about the Patriots, too, is I think because their defense is playing a lot better, they're probably going to be in, in a lot more scenarios where they're not having to, like, mm -hmm. outgun people. And that's, like you said, going to be a little bit more conducive to both of these backs being pretty functional as fantasy players. Absolutely. Okay, let's keep going with another team that loves to run the ball. That's the San Francisco 49ers. But I'm actually suggesting Brandon Ayuk, the wide receiver, as a waiver bid. We're now down at the 5% range. So like, I think you're, you're done with the players that I think are likely to make a huge impact for you the rest of the way. But Ayuk, to me, is still very intriguing because kind of hidden behind that run-heavy game script the last couple of games for the team, Ayuk has had a 24.3% target share since week eight. That's tied for 20th among wide receivers. So you're like, he's getting the usage of a, of a wide receiver too. The question is, are the 49ers going to keep running the ball as much as they've run it the last couple of weeks, such that that may only add up to five or six catches per week? What do you think? Was that was that a lot of matchup-based stuff, playing the Jaguars, playing the Rams? Or or what are your thoughts on Ayak as a potential fantasy option? I mean, I think they they want to run the ball. Like That's just what they do. Their running backs aren't you know healthy or particularly great right now but i think that that's still what they want to do even if they're not particularly efficient at it i think it's just too valuable to setting up what kyle wants to do um in the play action game and like needing to get it there yeah. for jimmy garoppolo to function um and to garoppolo's credit he's been very accurate the past you know few weeks i think he's been playing a lot better um what i would say like with Ayuk in a ppr league to your point he might be not as valuable because you know the the share of tar or the the volume of targets might not yeah. be there but i think the ways that they use him like they're consistently letting him get run after the catch you know they had one play where they flipped it out to him on like a a flare screen um then a lot of his other stuff is like in breakers over the middle it's like slants it's those over routes um the, the quick like 12 yard glance routes or whatever like they want to get him running into the middle of the field and he's a great athlete with the ball in his hands and so i think it's pretty conducive to him getting a lot of yards per catch, even if his, you know, catch volume is not particularly high. So um, I think he's just a really good fit for this offense, even if I think he's kind of an incomplete player overall. Um, and I think the offense, the way that it's humming right now, 
I think, I don't know. I think he, he should be able to continue to produce, I would think. And beyond even the target share being up, I think it's a really good sign that his snap share has really been on the rise. So going back to week four, it was at 67%. It's gone from there to 71, 71, 88, 93, 90, and 93% the last seven or so games. So that's 90 plus the last three games. So to me, that suggests that whatever the friction was between him and Shanahan, that's over with. He's back to being one of the clear top two receivers on the team. What I've been intrigued by of late is Debo Samuel getting more work out of the backfield. And I don't know if that's a reaction to the fact that Elijah Mitchell has been out and they've, they're have they missing a lot of the speed they've tended to have at that position. You know, Raheem Mostert's been out all season and he is probably their fastest player. So maybe Samuel is giving them something there that they don't have at all. But Derek, I don't know if you've noticed or have any thoughts on whether having Samuel in the backfield more, does that change the equation about when the team might be targeting, you know, Ayuk as a wide receiver? Because Samuel has been by far their number one target share player for the season at large, but I think he's had about as many carries as targets the last couple of weeks. I don't know how much of it necessarily changes things for Ayuk, but I do think the reason that they're doing it is, is like you said, they don't have the speed that the way they used to at running back um, with some of the injuries that they have right now. And I think Debo Samuel, like when you watch him, a lot of the stuff they do out of the backfield with him is not necessarily like getting him right up the middle. It's trying to get him out to the perimeter. It's a lot of like sweeps, pin pull, um they'll have him like you know at right receiver and then come back and, and run a jet like a lot of his stuff is to get to the perimeter because they just don't have speed right there um at this point so i don't know how much yeah. it hurts Ayuk necessarily because i think they're kind of just gonna run the ball that amount anyway and it doesn't really matter if it's samuel or wilson or whoever um but i think that that's the reason that they're doing it this is kind of an aside that it's probably not hugely relevant here, but like Trey Lance isn't going to start now at this point. Right. I mean, I think the 49ers are up to what second or third in offensive DVOA at this point. So this is kind of Super Bowl year vintage Jimmy Garoppolo offense with the 49ers where he's not exactly the one causing this, but it's really working. I can't imagine Shanahan would want to change it up. Yeah. Jim, Jimmy's playing really well right now. I don't, I don't think he was for the first month or so of the season. Part of that probably was because, you know, Ayuk was not fully in the lineup and not fully functional at that mm. point. Um, but the fact that I think he's now back, Jimmy is a little bit healthier. Like he's just throwing a lot more accurately. And I think in, in the early parts of the season, he just wasn't. Um, so the fact that he's just, you know, placing balls correctly like that, it's kind of <laughs> as simple as that. Um, but the guys are going to be open in the Shanahan offense. You just have to hit them. And I think Jimmy's done a really good job of that. Um, his third down numbers right now are also insane, which is probably yeah. a little bit lucky, but you know, better, better to be lucky than good. <laughs> <laughs> why, why, why remove a player when he's lucky, right? I guess that's, that's yeah. a fair point. <laughs> All right. Next player on the list, Ty Johnson running back for the New York Jets. I'm, I'm suggesting a 5% fab bid here. I was gutted to see my, my guy for my alma mater, Michael Carter suffered a high ankle sprain last week. He had really turned a corner after the Jets buy in particular, getting a ton of targets as part of a, uh, kind of an increasing part of, of a running back by committee. He was he was more and more the guy in recent weeks and actually had some fantasy relevance because of that. So without him here, the Jets are, they, they still have a couple of backs they can rely on, Ty Johnson being one, Tevin Coleman, the, the 49ers holdover there with Robert Sala too. Uh, maybe they'll bring Michael Perrin up as well. He's been a healthy and active most weeks this season. So this could still really be a committee, but is there a running back that sticks out to you as potentially being an option here? Johnson maybe in particular because – like, you know, Michael Carter really only had value in fantasy because of the receiving work. Is that something that really fits Johnson's game more than it does Tevin Coleman's? A little bit, but not enough to, like, make me really buy into this. I also think, like, game script is just a disaster yeah. for them. Like, the Jets' defense has not been that good, really, at any point this year. But they were 
like not completely the worst early on over yeah. the past month or so they have been the worst defense in the league probably by a wide margin like they look horrible and so the fact that they're going to have to get into these shootouts consistently um i think is going to spell a lot for johnson getting any carries and then like i don't know even if he's getting even if you know the high increase in passing volume trying to Mm-hmm. keep up in these shootouts that might mean a little bit of volume in the past game but like i just don't think he's particularly great that it's going to mean anything so i have a i kind of have a hard time seeing him being that good in fantasy at this point yeah i mean it's, it's honestly it's kind of hard to argue with you so on sunday he tevin coleman and michael carter all had 33 percent snap shares carter's is actually obviously much lower than it would have been if it had he not got hurt he left the game early but it, i mean it doesn't really paint that rosy of a pic- picture for johnson kind of stepping out and replacing the, the the 1A type of role for the Jets team. And if a guy, if this team is, is splitting time among their backs still, it's going to be tough because you're right. They're going to probably be down. Their offense is bad too. They have major offensive yeah. line injuries. So it's, it's just going to be tough for any of these guys to really contribute unless it is that Johnson ends up catching six, seven balls a game. And then he can kind of do use that to PPR his way to success. But it sounds like you don't think that's happening does the quarterback have anything to do with this? Because it seems like Zach Wilson may finally be ready to come back this week. Uh, I'm guessing the Jets aren't eager to keep trotting Joe Flacco out there, but who knows what they're thinking there. But would Wilson change the equation? I'm guessing not. I mean, statistically, he's been the worst of this bunch so far, but he also is the most talented, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. Like, you're going to get the most peak plays out of him, but, like, I just don't really trust any of these quarterbacks at this point. And also, like, a, a thing is, like, the receivers are good and they can get open. You don't necessarily need to check down as much in this offense um, as you might in other offenses. You know, Carter was obviously open a lot and he was good at that. But like, I think with the way that they can get guys open in the, in the passing game with their receivers, it's not like a necessity that you need to check down 10 times a game. So I I don't know. And and like, like I've said before, Wilson is just not good at that. (laughs) Um, He's just not a guy who wants to check the ball down. He wants to see what he can do down the field. So I think especially if he comes back, I'm just not really in on Johnson. Yeah. Plus the Jets do seem to have a lot more receivers that can play that kind of safety valve role, right? Because Jameson Crowder, Mm -hmm. just a hundred percent pure slot player. Braxton Barrios is that too. He doesn't play a ton, but could. And, and it seems like Elijah Moore could kind of work in and out of the slot, right? So, like, these are a lot of guys that can serve as that, oh, no, the pressure's coming. Here's a quick <laughs> quick open type of re- target. And so if, like, Carter was that because he has the skill set for that, if Johnson doesn't have that same skill set, then, like, are the, Jet- the, the Jets aren't going to really throw it to him that much, right? Yeah, exactly. Because, like, that was the thing with Carter. Like, Carter was just so, so good at being open and accelerating into space. Um, on a lot of those check down plays and stuff and like being really great with the ball in his hands. Mm-hmm. I just don't think Johnson is that kind of player. Yeah. Get well soon, Michael, man. Love to, love to yeah. see you back. <laughs> hey, but I mean, you know, maybe they didn't get the quarterback right. At least the Jets did get Elijah Moore and Michael Carter both late in the draft. Those were two potential wins of picks there. Um, all right. Sticking in the division, we've got the tight end Dawson Knox for the Bills. 4% fab recommendation. He's actually still available in about a quarter of leagues, so he may be already rostered in your formats, but he was out for a while with the broken hands. Then he came back finally in week 10, but had just one catch for 17 yards. So obviously major point of concern. You're worried, is he still hurt? What's the situation? But rebounded really nicely in week 11, had, what was it, six catches for 80 yards, actually had 10 targets, which led the team by four. And I know the Bills are like a consistent whack-a-mole type of team where besides Stephon Diggs, you never really know where the targets are going to go based on the game plan or whatever the case may be. But I feel like the fact that he had that many targets in a game and that he's been back up over 80% snap shares the last two weeks. To me, it suggests that at least he's healthy, right? 
Yeah, I agree. And and I think like, you know, we've said it before, I think when we've talked about Knox before, but like he's the only big bodied contested catch guy. And I think at this point with the way that the the Bills offense is sort of devolving and, and making Josh Allen, I think his timer kind of speed up a little bit um, in a bad way. Like I think that mixed with the way that Allen kind of is with him naturally being aggressive that's probably conducive to a lot of targets to your, your bigger body contest guy, uh, contested catch guy where you think like, God, I hope he can just get me, you know, 12 yards here, that, that sort of yeah. thing. So I don't know. I think to your point, the fact that they targeted him that much probably means he's healthy. And I think the, the way that the bills offense is trending is, is going to get a lot of targets to him just because Allen's going to want to. Um, and then he's obviously still a really good red zone threat. If, you know, if the bills mm-hmm. offense can get there in their current state. Um, so I don't know. I think, yeah, it's, He's not available in, in many leagues right now, but I think Knox, if you can get him, is, is a pretty good pickup. Yeah, to me, it's it's less about the targets, honestly, like in terms of volume. His 13.1% target share this season, just in the healthy games that he's played, that's 21st among tight ends. So you like, you know, that that wouldn't on its own make him a tight end one in fantasy. But he's also got six, uh, 0.63 touchdowns and 0.42 expected touchdowns per game this year. Even the second total, the smaller total, that's the seventh highest among tight ends. And a lot of the guys he's behind are, you know, Gronk, Andrews, Darren Waller, like, you know, the guys that obviously are going to be in every roster in every league. And you know that they're the elite options to me. He's that he's kind of in that second tier and it's kind of it's eerie, but his numbers are incredibly similar to Hunter Henry's. So he, he's got a 13.1 percent target share this year. Henry's at 13.0 percent. I think they had the exact same expected touchdowns per game this season, too. Henry has been trending. He's got something like six touchdowns in his last eight games. So I think that would make him the more popular choice right now. But like for me, they seem like pretty much the same player. And that may lead you to some some extra value in the short term, given that Knox has had a bit of a disrupted middle of his season. Do you buy that comparison at all? Uh, Kind of. I do think that Henry is a little bit more of like better as a traditional like inline Y type of tight end. Whereas I think mm-hmm. Knox is... I think great for the Bills offense because he can still do some of that, but they, he's also really good splitting out. Um, yeah. I, I think Henry can do that too, but I think Knox is better as a split out guy. Um, and I think for this Bills offense, like I mentioned, like the fact that he's the only big contested catch guy, you kind of want to split him out in the red zone if you can, um, if it's like a clear passing situation. So um, I think the, the comparison kind of does make sense, especially just with the way that both of these teams like to target those guys in the red zone. You know, I think Henry is actually available in a similar number of leagues. So let's say you only had one uh, in a PPR format. I'm not sure that really matters. But which of the two would you prefer to have if you could only have one? Uh, I, I mean, it honestly might be Henry. And it's not necessarily because I think he's like a significantly better player or anything. I just think that I trust the the Patriots offense just generally more to get to yeah. the red zone. And if that's where we think that these guys' biggest value is, that's Henry's probably going to get more opportunities to score touchdowns. Um, even if they both get, you know, the same opportunities when they're there, the Patriots offense is just going to be there more, I would imagine. So I think if you had told me four weeks ago that you would have said that, but like, I oh, just, you can't trust the Bills offense to get in the red zone as much as the Patriots. <laughs> it sounds like, insane. <laughs> what, what happened for Josh Allen? Did he get hit by a truck? What's going on? Uh, you know, we may not have time to go down this rabbit hole, you know, already 35 min- minutes into this waiver wire show, but like, can you put into a sim- simpler words? What has happened to the Bills offense? Like this, this was the most explosive offense in football for the first half of the season and like amazing last year too. Why can't they move the ball right now? 
they just can't protect anything. Like, like one, their offensive line, I think, as like a five-man unit, is just not playing as well as they did last year. Some of that is, is I think, like Deion Dawkins had had like COVID before the season, and he's not looked mm-hmm. particularly good this year. Um, some of their other guys across the line have not looked very good. I know they've had some injuries, so like they just can't block with their five-man. And then they came into the season thinking like oh, we can be this like 10 personnel, empty all the time, you know, go five wide receivers offense. And then the Steelers kind of punched them in the mouth in the first week (laughs) of the season. They were like, wait, we can't really do this against good defenses, but they've not yet figured out a changeup. And they've done a little bit more to get Knox on the field, bring him in into the formation and and get into a little bit more like six man pass protection. But like, that's just not what they majored in coming into the year. And then so that mixed with the offensive Mm -hmm. line being worse than I think they probably anticipated it's just led to this like extremely, extremely volatile offense where it's just hard for them to consistently get gains against, you know, quality defenses. Yeah. You know, I don't really know what I'm talking about here. I'm a fantasy analyst, but uh, I'll give it a shot too. I know we've talked about the too high safety look as being something that's been particularly troublesome for Patrick Mahomes this season Mm -hmm. as a player that maybe doesn't want to check the ball down as much when he can stretch the field. But it seems to me that a lot of the quarterbacks that we've seen struggling of late this season Russell Wilson included, I think maybe Josh Allen included, are more the downfield field stretching type of quarterbacks. And if you're seeing more of this look and their offenses can't really run the ball, like the, the Bills can't run, doesn't really matter how many men are in the box, right? Is that a relevant concern? Like are teams attacking Josh Allen that way, the same way they're attacking Mahomes? We're just not really talking about it in the same way because the Bills, they didn't struggle as quickly this season and, and because, you know, they were winning games and such. A hundred percent. It's the same thing. Like the bills, they can't run the ball. Like they, they, like, I think their efficiency at times has been okay because they get these insanely favorable boxes all the time. But like, yeah. to me, I think I've said this before, like running the ball is being able to run the ball when you want to run the ball. And the Patriots right. are, are fantastic at this. They're like, the, you know, the Patriots, the Browns, those are the teams that can do it when they want to do it. Um, and it is able to kind of replace their quick game. And that's why these teams, you know, that are really good at that can go into a lot of play action and, and the target the, you know, 10 plus area of the field is because you're getting your under 10 yard gains with the run game consistently. The Bills can't really do that. They can kind of do it when defenses give it to them, but then they're taking away everything else. And it's like, well, I don't know. You're relying on on a bad offensive line to consistently get gains. And so yeah. I don't know. It's just it's not really working for them. It's really interesting to me, Uh, but I guess I should probably get the waiver show back on the tracks a little (laughs) bit here. Uh, Let's jump over to a team that I just mentioned there, the Seattle Seahawks with their running back, Alex Collins. Unfortunately, Chris Collins, I would say Chris Collins, Chris Carson, who we had been waiting to come back from his neck injury. looks like he's going to be out for the season right now. I think he needs spinal fusion surgery. So obviously really scary, but hopefully he can kind of have the Peyton Manning type of career renaissance that that's worked for him. But in the short term, that leaves the Seahawks with, you know, Collins, it leaves them with Rashad Penny, leaves them with DJ Dallas receiving back uh, Travis Homer. And Pete Carroll said before last week that he was going to really get Rashad Penny more involved. And that went about as well as everything goes for Rashad Penny in his career. He got hurt on the second carry hamstring pull. So I don't know if he's going to be playing this week. But regardless of that, I've been really impressed with Collins. Like I know he's fighting through his own groin injury and so isn't as explosive as he probably is at his best. But he's had 10 carries in seven straight games. So you feel good about the workload and like he he's like top five in, in rushing DVOA this season. So I know it's not flashy, but like Colin seems like he's been doing a really good job and having a consistent workload. Is that kind of piquing your interest from a fantasy perspective? Yeah. I, I like it. If the Seahawks offense can figure out 
like wh- like how exactly to get things going again. I think mm-hmm. Collins is going to be a good beneficiary of it. Yeah. I think part of the problem right now is just like Russ is not. I, I don't think he's healthy. Like I don't yeah. think his finger is as, as healthy as he wants it to be. So maybe when they get that gets back on track in a couple weeks, the offense will look better. Um, but I think to your point, like Collins, he looks good. Like I think we've said this a couple times this year. Like he's just their best guy for squeezing the most out of every run because his vision is just so insanely good. Um, he's really good in like tight areas, um, for a guy, his size, and then his contact balance is like, you know, he's, he's not, you know, blowing people off the way that like David Montgomery can or anything, but I think he's not a guy who goes down super easily. Um, so I think he just has this really blend of good skill sets that makes him a really high floor runner. And for an offense that is kind of shaky as a quick game offense in terms of their passing offense, because that's just never been what Russ is good at. They've always had to run a lot of basic quick game stuff and there's only a couple concepts he really likes and so that's why that team has always been a run heavy team or wanted to be even for as much as Seahawks fans hate it um I think that's why they do it and so I think Collins is probably the best for for giving them as as high a floor as they can get out of this this offense and if none of the other guys are really big explosive plays I mean you might as well take the guy who's the most consistent runner I mean, I feel that way. To me, to me, like the better question might be longer term, whether Collins might continue to matter in future seasons. It's like mm-hmm. I've always contended he's a very good player. He had a really big year for the Ravens maybe four or five years ago and then got hurt and then had some real some major off the field issues. I think he got arrested for drug possession and stuff. And it just it set him off for a couple of years in the wilderness here. But now that he's back, it seems like he's playing as well as he ever has. Do you think that he might catch on with the team as a lead player? kind of guy maybe the way that we wanted Mike Davis to this season for the Falcons like is that kind of potential there for him or is it more a situation where he's just the best among a bad group with the Seahawks I mean I think he's like a functional NFL player um and he's definitely the best of what these guys have but like at the end of the day I think teams want guys who can marry the you know consistent gains and stuff with the explosive and Collins just doesn't have that. And he never has, yeah. even when he was at his best. Like, that's just not what his game was. He was always a guy who was going to get you six when you thought you could get four, um, you know, get you three when you thought you were getting one, that sort of thing. But he's never getting you 20 when you thought you were going to get three. Like, he, he just doesn't yeah. have that in him, really. So um, I would imagine the Seahawks would want a better, you know, back who can give you a little bit more in that sense. But um, I think if they went into the year with him again, it, it wouldn't be the worst thing, especially if they can upgrade, you know, the offensive line a little bit or something. I was about to say they, they probably have higher things on their to-do list for the offseason yeah. <laughs> than, than getting like a really good running back in there. So maybe back to the drawing board there. But either way, it, it does seem to me like Collins could be kind of a good flex option for you down the stretch this season if you need help at running back. Uh, next up on the list, Derek, we've got Pat Fryermuth tied in for the Steelers. I've talked about him a ton, but uh, still offering a 4% fab bid here. He's still available in about a third of both ESPN and Yahoo leagues. And he hasn't been quite as productive of late. You know, I keep throwing out all these stats about him since week six because that's when Juju Smith-Schuster went out for the season. But he still hasn't gotten to like 70 receiving yards in a game or anything this season. But he is consistently playing, you know, at least 57% of snaps every week since week six. Um, Pretty consistent target share, even if it's not explosive. Meanwhile, the thing that's really popped to me of late is that he has four receiving touchdowns and 3.3 expected receiving touchdowns since week six. Those are both second among tight ends behind just Hunter Henry. So maybe I was taking the wrong tack with this. Is this, is he less of a volume guy, but more of a potential red zone guy for you down the stretch, which might work just as well for you in fantasy as the other way? 
some of the volume stuff I imagine is just like the function of how that offense works. Um, they just do a lot of quick stuff out to the perimeter and that's obviously more conducive to wide receivers and stuff. So yeah, um, I think the the problem with volume is really just big Ben, not what his skill set is. <laughs> sure. I think, I, I think Frymouth can kind of do a little bit of everything. Um, but to your point, and you know, we said this about the, the bills with Dawson Knox, like he's their best big body guy in the red zone. And I think like his hands and the way he can box people out, man, it's incredible. It's really already one of the best at the position, I think, for, for, for that. You know, he's maybe not quite as, you know, shifty as some of the other guys in the open field right now. And some of that is just it takes time to know how to get open as an NFL tight end. Uh, yeah. It's a really hard position to, to be good at early. Um, but I think as a red zone threat, like you mentioned, like he's just I mean, he's big and he just he boxes people out and he has incredible body control and good hands. Like he, he's just really, really good if, you know, if you think the Steelers can get there in a given week. <laughs> uh, this is another one where I'm curious about your opinion in the long term. We're actually going to do, you know, like we've done with quarterbacks and running backs and receivers. Eventually, we're going to get to the tight end rookie recap, which may may really only be a couple of guys. <laughs> but like Fryermuth obviously isn't exactly Gal Pitts, right? But the fact mm -hmm. that he's contributing so much this early, I don't know how much of that to attribute to the fact that the Steelers are just kind of running out of bodies, and how much of it is maybe Fryermuth being like toward the special end of this, of, of this. So like, can you give us a little bit of a sneak preview? Like, is is Fryermuth one of the 10 tight ends that you would want to have for your franchise right now? Or do you think this is a lot of this is more circumstantial? Maybe a little bit of both, but like, I think he's really, really good, man. I, I mean, like I said, some of the body, body control stuff, um, the way he sees the ball into his hands is incredibly natural. Like he has really strong hands too. So I think if we assume he takes some of the, the leap in terms of understanding how to separate and find zones as a, you know, tight end, it's, it's really hard to do when you're a rookie in the league. So I think over the next couple of years, if we assume he gets a little bit better at that, like he's the total package and like, he's, he's a solid blocker too. He's not, mm. um, he's not like the best. And I, I don't even think he's the best at it on that roster, but he's still good enough at it that they can keep him as like an inline guy. In addition to some of the stuff they can do with pushing him out um, into the slot. So to me, he's kind of like a little bit of everything. He, he does a lot on top of being a really good red zone threat. So I don't know. I, you know, he's not as good as Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is just a completely different, uh, yeah. completely different thing. He's just way more explosive. But I think the Steelers found themselves a pretty darn good starting tight end for the future, I think. Yeah. Hitchhiker Pie mentions that Roethlisberger, he throws super short and Fryermuth runs very shallow routes. And like that, honestly, that was the logic that I originally followed with this from a fantasy perspective, because obviously Fryermuth isn't the same position as, as Juju Smith-Schuster, right? But it's like Smith-Schuster was a slot target. And a lot of the other Steelers' weapons at receiver are outside guys, like James Washington, the backup. He's a field stretcher. Claypool, I think, does his best work down the field. So Fryermuth is a little bit of a square peg round hole, but I think he substitutes more of what Smith-Schuster did for the team than a lot of these other guys. And so that, that's kind of why I think that he's in the tight end one, maybe kind of borderline tight end two mix the rest of the way for you in fantasy, especially if he's getting all these touchdowns. So I think that could really work for you from a fantasy perspective. All right, Derek, let's get to uh, your one of your favorite teams to talk about, although maybe not as much now that Justin Fields isn't going to play this Thanksgiving. <laughs> but uh, wide receiver Darnell Mooney of the Bears, suggesting a 3% fab bid here, had a really big game uh, on Sunday, five catches, 121 yards, and a touchdown. Also had 16 targets, which led the team by six. Allen Robinson missed that game uh, with a hamstring injury. But again, because, this, because they're playing again on Thanksgiving – it's a four-day turnaround. Might be really tough for Robinson to get back. I think we already know that Fields isn't going to play with his bruised ribs. 
So give me your thoughts on Mooney, the player, but also about the circumstances where if you're going to have Andy Dalton at quarterback and not Robinson next to him at wide receiver, does that help, you know, what you're seeing for Mooney this in the short term, or does it maybe hurt him too? It might help just in the sense that like somebody has to get the volume in that offense. Um, but I've kind of become not as impressed with Mooney as, as I was hoping over the course of the season. Um, he's just an unbelievably inconsistent player. Like his hands are kind of questionable. Um, and I think he doesn't separate all that well, except for down the field stuff, which would make him a really fantastic role player in the, in the realm of like, I don't know if people remember like, you know, turbo Taylor Gabriel, um, oh, yeah. like that sort of thing. Um, he would be really fantastic as like a number three, you know, role player in that sense. But like the fact that he is their second receiver at this point, and maybe their first with Robinson not playing, like that's just not a, a good NFL wide receiver in that role. Um, but I think kind of, like you said, if they're going to have guys out, somebody's got to get the passing volume. So it's probably going to be him. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't feel as good about this as I, I had previously, especially with fields not being in the mix where he was more of a downfield passer. I know Dalton kind of did it a little bit last week coming off the bench, but that's not really what he is. Well, I, I think important to note that with Mooney, I think Mooney had a 60 yard touchdown catch last week, but it was actually thrown five yards behind the line of scrimmage. And he's, he can he's, do that too. Yeah. Fast, so that, I mean, yeah. that works out, but that may not work out every week. Uh, it may work out this Thursday, though, because, again, the Bears are playing the Lions. So, obviously, the Lions one of the worst defenses overall, pass defenses. Uh, by my numbers, they increased number one wide receiver yards per target by 46%. So, like, this would potentially add up to a really good spot for Mooney. But I'm worried, like you, that there may not be enough around him, that it's going to be a lot easier to handle him defensively. So, I mean, that's my concern. One reason I bring him up is really more of a math question than anything else. Like, I don't think Dalton is a better quarterback than Fields, but – you know, Fields is averaging 24.6 pass attempts per game in his starts this season, and the league average is 35. So, like, you're giving up 10 passes. What I think, uh, you know, Mooney's getting like a 27% target share or something. Like, it's a really high number of targets. So, you're talking about a loss of three targets just by changing the quarterbacks. Not that it's good for the team necessarily, but for Mooney's fantasy value in particular, wouldn't be shocked if he ended up having 12 targets on Thursday. And, like, that. That seems like that would probably be enough to at least make him a flex-worthy player, even if you don't really love what's going on around him. Does, does that logic check out, or am I a little bit too much in the spreadsheets there? No, I mean, I think that kind of makes sense, um, especially against this this matchup in particular. Like, I think the Lions' biggest issue right now in the secondary is speed. So even if Dalton is not, like, the best deep thrower or the guy that, like, wants to do it all the time, um, he... he Mooney is probably going to get open a handful of times down the field and you just have to hope that Dalton's going to hit him. So um, I think for this week specifically, I actually feel a little bit better about picking him up. Um, just maybe not so much as like a long-term for the rest of the year type of thing. So, I mean, since, since you know so much about fields, this is probably a good time to kind of ask this semi-related question, but like fields is an incredible deep ball thrower, right? So it seems to me like he would be somebody that would want to hold onto the ball a little bit longer in the backfield and then throw the ball downfield. I remember earlier in the year, it seemed like Dalton was getting the ball out of his hands, like, you know, one and a half seconds tops every play. Is that good or is that bad for Mooney? Like, is Mooney a quick to get open type of player or is he more of a deep speed type of player? Is it possible that like this could be a red herring situation where, I don't know, maybe Cole Komet or someone random is actually <laughs> the guy that's going to be the, the most heavily involved target because Dalton isn't going to wait for Mooney to get open 40 yards downfield? I think he's definitely more of a, a deep speed guy. I don't think he you know, separates very consistently in the one to 10 yard area, you know, like if he runs like a curl route, 
he, he's always kind of late and doesn't really come back to the quarterback that well. Um, that sort of thing. He's not a very like quarterback friendly uh, type of wide receiver the way you might think of. Um, yeah. I don't know, a Jamison Crowder from the slot or something like that. He, he doesn't yeah. make it easy on his quarterbacks in the one to 15 yard area, but I don't know, like if they just don't have other players, like somebody's got to get the targets and commit still could too. But like they've got to have some wide receiver who's going to do it, and he's probably their best option at this point. Yeah. By the way, did you see that Matt Nagy got preemptively fired? Like he's coaching yes. this Thursday, <laughs> but like he's already been notified he's not going to keep the job. I guess they're just going to drop him off in Detroit and make him stay there. In- it's incredible. Insane. It's always so insane like, when we get those reports. Like he's going to coach his last game. It's like, then why let him? Like, just what are we doing? <laughs> I think they were afraid he was going to win, and then it would be kind of a bad look to fire him immediately after a win. But they're like, no, nope, we already fired him. Something. Our hands are tied, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so, like, once again, let me let me remind you to try to avoid watching football this Thursday. Maybe just play fantasy football instead. Uh, a couple more guys to hit on from a fantasy perspective, though, waiver wire guys. Michael Gallup, wide receiver for the Cowboys. Another guy that I think the Thursday game for the Cowboys is a relevant issue here because Amari Cooper, he tested positive for COVID last week, but since he's unvaccinated, has the mandatory 10-day sit out and won't have time to get back on the field for Thursday. Meanwhile, C.D. Lamb suffered, I'm pretty sure, a concussion. At least he left for a head injury. And I like if that's the case, it's going to be tough for him to clear concussion protocol in four days. Players struggle to go through that in seven days. So suddenly I think I think Michael Gallup might be the number one Cowboys receiver. And while that didn't necessarily work out too well last week, the Cowboys are playing the Raiders on Thursday. That may be a little bit friendlier of a matchup. They're down to, I think, like 22nd in pass defense DVOA. Um, I didn't I didn't write that down. So that could be off. But the point is that the Raiders are struggling defensively as much as they are offensively as their season is kind of unraveling. So could this potentially be a really good spot for Gallup, even if he's a little bit overmatched as a number one receiver in some circumstances? Honestly, it's kind of tricky to me because I think at their best, I really, really love this Cowboys offense, but like they're banged up a lot up front and that is a problem against the Raiders. Like they are, they have one of the best edge rushing duos in the league between um, Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe. Yeah. Um, and also, even though like their pass defense DVOA hasn't been good, and I do think a lot of it is carried by their pass rush rather than their pass coverage, um, they've gotten some decent play out of cornerback Brandon Fashion the past couple of weeks. Like, I don't know. Like, I think um, I think this could be not the best matchup for, for Gallup at this point. But it also could just be a situation where everybody's so hurt that, like, <laughs> what else can you do? <laughs> and I don't really think a lot of these other guys are that great. Like, Cedric Wilson, to me, is really mm-hmm. coin flippy. Um, Noah Brown is really more of a blocker than a guy who's like a, a pass catcher. So it could just be a thing where, you know, somebody has to get the, the, the targets in this offense. Fair. And then I've got one more guy that I think falls into this kind of mix of maybe a short-term option that his value is going to go in away in another week or two, Jeff Wilson running back for the 49ers. So with Elijah Mitchell out last week, he played the lead role playing 58% of snaps versus 35% for Trey Sermon. I've mentioned before how he kind of is in the mix in your deeper formats even playing alongside Mitchell because he's more of a touchdown scorer. He averaged 0.91 rushing and receiving touchdowns per game last year and 0.61 expected touchdowns per game. It's pretty good. Maybe gets a little bit more work in the red zone. But I will say I was a little bit surprised that Wilson played so clear lead back over Trey Sermon. You know, Mitchell is a very different player with that elite speed, but Wilson and Sermon, are they more like each other? And if so, like what is it that's separating those two such that Wilson is the lead back in the short term? 
I think it just has to be some sort of, you know, another Kyle Shanahan like doghouse situation because yeah. I think like as talents, they're not that different. Um, they kind of want, want to do a lot of the same things where they're just banging it up between the tackles. Um, yeah. They're both really tough runners. Um, not necessarily the most explosive. Um, not going to give you anything like too crazy in terms of like miss making people miss like before or after the line of scrimmage. So, like they're kind of similar players. So I have to imagine that whatever's going on with Sermon is just a, a doghouse situation. Like I don't think Jeff Wilson is a very good player. I just watched the Jaguars game actually before we got yeah. on here and like, the Jaguars defensive line played really, really well. Um, they did. I don't want to take credit away from them, but like there's a reason that all this outside stuff that they did, um, the 49ers, was to different players. It was a lot of it was to like Debo Samuel. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like there's a reason they did that. And really a lot of their gains on the inside were really just to kind of set up a lot of their play action stuff. And they, you know, I think Jeff Wilson left some yards on the field in that regard. So I'm not terribly impressed with him, and I don't I don't even know what to make of Sermon not getting snaps over him. Well, I mean, long story made short, it sounds like Mitchell has very little concerns about getting his job back when he's ready to go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think if so, he's good, he's fine. Yeah, and he broke a finger a few weeks ago, had a pin inserted. Uh, so I think that's kind of an unpredictable timeline of recovery is my guess. But keep an eye on that. Wouldn't be shocked to see him play this next week, in which case he would probably be your preferred option in that backfield. Uh, we're taking a while, so let's kind of hit on these last guys pretty quick. Rex Burkhead running back for the Texans. I'm down in the 1% fab bed range. My, my point before the show started was that, hey, like he did have 18 carries, led the backfield. That's great. But Mark Ingram in this role, he was averaging 6.5 PPR points per game. That was barely inside the top 60 running backs. Not sure Burkhead's going to do dramatically better. But the interesting latest news is the fact that the Texans ended up cutting uh, Philip Lindsay within the last hour or two. So, like, I guess it's pretty clear that Burkhead is going to have that role. What what went wrong for Lindsay? I don't know if he maybe asked for a release or what, because I he probably assumed he was going to be the lead back for this team and still isn't after the Ingram uh, trade. But like, why is Burkhead this guy and not Lindsay? Lindsay is very much a boomer bust runner. And I think mm -hmm. with the Texans offensive line being as bad as it is, there's just not even like a lot of opportunity to get those boom plays. Like they're, they're just not there. And so that leads to a lot of, you know, Philip Lindsay running into the back of his guard and getting minus two yards. Whereas a guy like Burkhead or even Ingram might be able to squeeze out a no gain or one or two yards, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. I think that was kind of the, the big issue that they were having there. Um, and I think <laughs> with the offense as bad as it is, you're kind of just hoping that you can get yards anywhere you can get them. And if Lindsay was giving them some negative games or not getting the most out of some of their more consistent stuff, that's kind of why he gets pushed out and why Burkhead gets favored a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that definitely jives with what I know statistically about Lindsay and his career. Like, I think he had an historically terrible third down conversion rate. He just he can get to the line really quickly, but then just has no push after after initial mm -hmm. contact. So it's a tough fit. But like, obviously, you remember from his rookie year with the Broncos, it was explosive. He had all of those long touchdowns. So let me ask a question, like, would there be a better fit where like if he is if he is zero yards and 10 yards, those are his rushing plays and someone else is five yards, five yards, five yards. Is there ever a circumstance where the Lindsay boomer bust is better? Uh, not better, but it's fine if you're rushing offense as a whole can get those consistent gains elsewhere and he can be like a complimentary back like even mm -hmm. uh, even like with the broncos like they had other guys who were a little bit more consistent that could kind of 
you know, pound out those four or five yard gains and stuff. Um, and so they were more okay with leaning into some of Lindsay's boom and bust. When you have none of that consistent gains from anywhere, and even your passing offense is a little bit of a roller coaster because, you know, the offensive line is so horrible. Like, I don't think you're very comfortable living with, you know, those boom and bust type of plays. Um, but I don't know if you're if you're a different offense that can get those consistent gains elsewhere and your guy who gets consistent gains is not like an elite back. You're probably OK with some of the explosives that he can get. Can I connect some simple dots and just ask, like, why isn't he a 49er? Like Shanahan just loves yeah. elite speed. <laughs> like, is, isn't he Raheem Mostert? Like, that's probably what he is, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's like the perfect role for him. Like if he could, I mean when they're healthy, the 49ers already have guys who could do that. But like, if, if they can't get these guys healthy, like that's a pretty good landing spot, probably as best as he's going to find. I was about to say when they're healthy, ha ha. Yeah. yeah that's not, <laughs> that, that won't be happening anytime soon. So yeah, sign them up. love to see it. Um, we're again, we're running a little long. Let's skip Logan Thomas. We've talked about him. I think the major point there is the fact that he is probably going to be activated from injured reserve. He's back practicing this week for the first time since his hamstring injury. But I do want to give a little bit of time to the Taysom Hill discussion here. I'm kind of throwing him out as a 1% fab recommendation, mostly based on the fact that Trevor Simeon is now 0-3 as a substitute starter for the team. You would just kind of logically assume that Hill would potentially take over. He was in a, a, ostensibly in a quarterback competition with Jameis Winston before the season, so it's been a surprise to me that he hasn't been playing so far this year, although maybe injuries have played a role. But possibly tied up into this is kind of a, a story that broke yesterday that Hill signed another new extension. And I'm confused by this because I thought he had signed an extension in the offseason, but whatever. Here's what I think I know. He signed an unusual type of deal now where going forward, he could get paid up to 90 million if he became a quarterback. And that's judged by if he can throw for 224 or more pass attempts in a season in the next few seasons, it would like kick in these escalators. And otherwise he'll be paid a little bit less based on a different type of role in the offense. So it's, it's kind of intriguing, and I was curious if you had any thoughts about Hill, maybe with respect to Simeon, or maybe does this contract maybe open the door for him to play quarterback? Like, I'm, I'm not sure I understand how it all kind of weaves together, but I'm curious if you have any thoughts. I have no idea what to make of the contract. <laughs> it's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. Not even just the structure of it, just like the fact that he is getting more money. It makes yeah. no sense to me. He's not a starter at any position. Like he, he can't be your starting tight end and he can't be your starting quarterback. It doesn't make any sense to me. So I don't really know what the whole deal is there. Um, I don't even know what to make of him, like him potentially being the starter now. Like Simeon yeah. is obviously bad. Um, we were talking about that a little bit before the show. Like the interception he threw uh, the first one to a linebacker was just abysmal. Um, he's not going to win you any games. But like, I also don't really think Taysom Hill wins you any games. Maybe you can, you know, turn into a, a military academy and try to be like a triple option offense. But like, yeah, that's as best as you're getting. Because even some of the downfield hill stuff that like Hill was supposed to be able to do when Breeze was there, he can't even do that really. Like the only yeah. reason it was kind of valuable is because Breeze literally could not do it at all. And like Hill only, you know, 15% could. So I don't know. I, I don't really have any faith that Hill is going to be the starting quarterback or be a good one if he is. Yeah. So, I mean, this is really boilerplate analysis. It's like, hey, Hill, he averaged 21.2 fantasy points in four starts last year. That would make him a back-end quarterback one. Maybe he'll start because Simeon's bad. I don't know. So, like, that's kind of the long and short of it. But maybe this will all start to make sense over the next week if, if people smarter than me can kind of explain what's going on with the contract and everything else. But somebody to have, I think, on your fantasy radar. 
Okay, that gets us through all of the waiver wire guys for week 12. Let's go back. We've had a number of questions on YouTube. Again, thanks so much for following along. We're Monday through Friday on YouTube, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. You can stream on there and then ask us questions, which we'll get to. Jumping back to ET, he asks, how do we feel about Chris Godwin for the rest of the season? Would you look to trade him in anticipation of Antonio Brown coming back? Can I point out that I have fallen into this, I'm now calling a trap multiple times now in the last few seasons where you say, too many good players, too many mouths to feed. Like the Bucks have been the poster child for that in my mind between, you know, that trio of receivers having Rob Gronkowski, like the rebirth of his fantasy career. And my, my sort of takeaway after screwing this up for a few years is that injuries will always solve this problem. Like I just, I would say treat all of those players like they're going to be very productive and not have a target problem. And one of them will get hurt and it'll solve the problem for you. You just kind of hope that the player you have isn't the one that gets hurt. That, that's kind of my takeaway at this point. Derek, what do you think about that? I mean, yeah, I think that's fair. And also, like, they're just might be the best offense. They might be the best passing offense in football. Like, they're going to get chances to continue to, to march down the field and score. So, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I would be – I don't think I would be too quick to to sell Chris Godwin or anything. Yeah. All right. Kelvion, he says he traded Ezekiel Elliott and Hunter Renfro for Justin Jefferson and Antonio Gibson. Wants to know whether he won or lost that trade. I mean, we've talked before about like how much we both really like Ezekiel Elliott. Obviously, he's the better of the two running backs. Obviously, Jefferson's the better of the two receivers. But Gibson, to me, is the, mis the most mysterious one of this bunch. And I would say he's really underachieved what many thought he had a chance to do this season from a fantasy perspective in particular as a receiving option where J.D. McKissick has pretty much maintained his receiving back role for the team. But Derek, do you, do you have any thoughts about Gibson and why it hasn't worked out? It seems like he's been playing hurt a lot this year too. And I don't know if anything's jumped out to you there. I think some of it is definitely the injuries because he's not a very consistent back. Like, I don't think his vision is that good. Um, I think the way that he works, you know, trying to set up his blocks is not particularly great. He's always been a guy who like really banks on being bigger, faster, and stronger than you. Um, he's just a really, really good athlete. And if you're hurt, you're obviously not going to be able to deliver on that the way that, you know, I think he was a little bit as a rookie. So I think the fact that that is hurting him right now, it kind of makes him not a viable player. Um, and I think truthfully, we're probably just not going to get that healthy version of him for the rest of the year. He's probably just going to be, you know, some watered down version of who he is for the re remainder of the season. And you just have to hope that he gets healthy for next off season. Um, because like the offensive line is playing well, like that's a good unit. He's just yeah. not running very well behind it. He is like the weirdest player to me. Cause like, again, this is a guy that at Memphis only caught the ball. Like he was more mm -hmm. of a receiver than he was a running he back. He was and, a wide receiver. Like at one point, I, I just, <laughs> like, literally it's really confusing to me. I, I can't explain it, but I'm hoping that maybe next year it's, what do they call that? A post hype sleeper in fantasy. Maybe that'll be the mm -hmm. way to go there. Uh, <laughs> McCurley Wolf asks, Hey guys, I have Mixon, Saquon, Fournette and Sanders. Should I trade Mixon and Sanders for JT? I mean, I watch too much golf. The JT means Justin Thomas. Who does JT mean in a fantasy football setting? Jonathan uh, Taylor. I would Jonathan Taylor. Oh, yes. Obviously, yes, right? Yeah. Um, to me, Sanders, I don't think the Eagles really like Sanders that much. Um, I think that he would continue to be part of a committee going forward. And I know that Jordan Howard's going to be out for week 12. But I feel like when Howard's back, I think it's going to be kind of a split. I think Boston Scott may end up splitting time with Sanders in the short term. and even though the team scored a lot of rushing touchdowns in recent weeks, I do feel like Jalen hurts is going to continue to get more of those than the running back share. So I like, I don't, I don't think Sanders is more than a flex option, even in PPR formats. I would absolutely make that trade for Jonathan Taylor. 
wow, it's embarrassing that I didn't know that JT was Jonathan Taylor, guys. <laughs> I, I'm hoping that everybody stopped watching at the two two hour mark. That's bad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it could have been Justin Timberlake. You know who knows? <laughs> you know that's that's fair um, too. So I guess I could have made a worse assumption. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, Nathan Tedes asks, "How about uh, Valdez Scantling?" Um, so, you know, I didn't actually go back and look too hard at the Packers game. I know that he caught one 75-yard touchdown. Uh, so I'm guessing that had a lot to do with whatever positive numbers he had for the week last week. To me, nothing's really ever changed with, with Valdez Scantling. He's a to total mm -hmm. boomer bust type of guy. The fact that Allen Robinson, he like, not Allen Robinson, um, Allen Lazard wasn't playing. To me, that doesn't really make that much of a difference either. He's going to be like a sub-15% target share guy that occasionally catches a really long touchdown. Is there any development you're seeing, or is, is that just kind of what he is as a player? That's just what he is. And it's nice for their offense. I think it's really good that he is there. Like it helps that he's a great field stretcher and stuff. But like that's all he is. That's just kind of that's just kind of what the deal is. And I don't think in, in the handful of years he's been in the league, he's shown that much improvement in other areas. Yeah. All right. Smokey the cat cat, the double cat, asks a uh, pick two for week 12, Josh Jacobs, Rashad Bateman, and Tony Pollard. I'll say that uh, I will have the start and sit up, um, if not by the end of Wednesday, early Thursday, so earlier than usual this week. So that that's probably the best place to go for this answer. Uh, Jacobs is going to be the obvious number one for me. The question with Pollard is going to be Ezekiel Elliott's health, because there, there's another player that got a little bit dinged up on Sunday and has the short turnaround for the Thanksgiving start. So if there's any indication that he might not be playing his full workload, I think Pollard becomes a lot more interesting to me. But if not... I don't know. What are your thoughts on Bateman? We still haven't had a lot of games where like all of the Ravens receivers and Lamar have all been playing together, but like with Watkins being back, Marquez Brown, uh, Marquise Brown being healthy right now and assuming Lamar returns, does that like marginalize Bateman at all? Or do you think Watkins is really the more bigger loser there? I think Watkins is probably the bigger loser. Um, but, and like, I love Bateman as a player, but honestly this week I might take Pollard anyway, um, just because like with the health of their receiving room, like, they're probably going to want to get Pollard involved on the perimeter and try to get yards that way. So I have to imagine that Pollard is, is still going to be able to get opportunity, even if Zeke is, is healthy in place. So um, for as much as I love Bateman, the, the football player, I kind of like Pollard this week. Yeah. All right. One more question, then we'll wrap this thing up. Amuna asks, hey, guys, Matthew Stafford or Cam Newton? I'm assuming rest of season. Michael Pittman or Scary Terry? So, you know, I, I don't want to get totally out over my skis here after one game, but I feel like on an individual game basis, I think Cam Newton is going to be more productive than Stafford the rest of the way. It's just, it's not about you know, like quality of player necessarily. It's just about the importance of running success to fantasy production. But if you're asking me rest of season, I think Cam is a lot more likely to get injured in a way that would compromise his fantasy success. So rest of season, I would say Stafford, but on an individual week to week basis, maybe Cam Newton. Does that, does that seem reasonable to you, Derek? I think that's kind of fair because obviously, yeah, the, the rushing production is like if the Panthers offense, if we assume he can get a little bit better overall and get comfortable in the offense, the rushing production is going to be big. But um, I also think there's not that much reason to be worried about Stafford. You know, I think, you know, the past few weeks, the offense has kind of been up and down. But like I have a lot of faith in Sean McVay um, and I have a lot of faith in the receiver room, even with some of the injuries that they've had. So I think the Rams yeah. offense is going to get back on track. If these are your two options, it seems like you are in pretty good hands. So I yeah, think you probably Stafford, can't really go wrong. Stafford, much higher floor, I think is fair to say. So I would say yeah. like if you're in a league mm -hmm. where if, if for instance, you were you you couldn't replace your quarterback, maybe if you were in a deeper type of league, that's when Stafford becomes a lot more important because then you have a little bit more safety there. Between mm -hmm. Pittman and Scary Terry, um, 
I think McLaurin's the better player. And I also think Washington is going to throw the ball more. Like to me, the Colts kind of unlocked what they wanted to be in recent weeks. That's relying a lot more heavily on a running game. So I think that, that McLaurin is going to get the better volume. And, and to me, that that's really the kicker here. That's why I would prefer him. Do you feel the same way? 100%. I also think yeah. like Taylor Heineke is not playing bad football right now. He's, he's no. kind of playing okay. And like, yeah, yeah. I think if he's going to keep my those targets. Ultimate <laughs> game. Like he, he took that Ron Rivera, Cam Newton thing and just like, no, nope, I'm the Panthers revenge man here. T- Taylor Heineke against the NFC South, man. He, he There's something there. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up the week 12 waiver wire fantasy show. Thanks so much for watching. Um, I'll point out that since it's Thanksgiving week, I'm not going to be doing my Friday preview show. So sorry for that, but you can catch me again next Tuesday. But more importantly, Derek, I think you're going to be a guest on the Ask Me Anything show with Aaron and Mike tomorrow, right? So that's something that everybody can really look forward to. Any teasers there? Do you have any other, uh, any kind of work coming out this week that people might be interested in? Um, uh, I'm not actually doing a film room this week, kind of taking a uh, taking a week off with the holiday. So well deserved. Um, yeah, yeah <laughs> don't have that. Um, we are gonna have another Bleacher Report uh, big board. Um, I think in a couple weeks. I don't actually remember. It's something like that. So look forward to that. We're expanding to like 150 players or something like that. So um, yeah, I think that's all I've got on. Thanks so much then. Uh, everybody get in your questions for tomorrow for Derek. He'll have a lot more chance to get into the scouting type of questions and stuff. So send those his way for tomorrow's stream. Thanks so much for watching everybody. Enjoy your Thanksgiving and good luck to your week 12 matchups.